Yo, 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 this is Mr. Robinson with the slot, a.k.a. Boogie Mac BLE. And this is Keeping the Towel with Aunt Boogie. Tap in. World, easy worlds, your man Ant Boogie. Don't worry about the name, get used to the voice. And it's another episode of Keeping the Towel. Thank you so much for moving, rocking, and vibing with me as always. It's a new day, it's a new second, it's a new hour, it's a new minute. That means we got new opportunities in front of us to make sure that we don't give up in this fight called life. The man got a sparring partner with him who's going to be coming in the ring with him all the way from Colorado by way of the great state of Michigan. My man, Mr. Mike Robinson. Mike Rob, you in the building, my man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm in the building with you, brother. How you doing? Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Rob is in the building with me. You're going to get a chance to hear his story about his life and why is it that he's able to keep his towels. We're going to put Mr. Robinson how this goes. Mike, here's what I need you to do. Make sure you get out your locker room. Come to the ring because you are now called up. Have your hands wrapped. Get your gloves on. Get your mouthpiece in your mouth. And I need you to go ahead and get in your last set of instructions. I need you to come to the ring. It's going to be Ant Boogie, Mike Rob, and around the session has officially started. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. All right, Mike. Let's go yes, ahead sir. and hit into the time machine. Let's dial this back to 19 something something. And you, my man, tell us how and where did it all start for you? It all started for me in the great state of Arkansas, brother. You know, I got my, my ways from my, my southern folk. I don't like to call them country. I call them southern because, you know, they come with a great deal of hospitality. Yes. That's how it used to be. I can't speak so soft for us what things have come to today, but that's where I'm from, and I hail from the great state of Arkansas. I grew up in Michigan, rough ends of Detroit, Michigan. You know what I'm saying? So as a kid, I you know, my mother migrated there when I was like seven. No, I'll say eight. Because at the age of seven, I almost um, had my life taken from me, man. I got hit by a car. Yeah, man, that was a, it was like a real traumatic incident in my life. Caused me a lot of trauma as a kid. But, uh, you know, when I got to Michigan, it was a different level of life. It was like night and day. Because my southern, my southern hospitality days was, <laughs> was subsequently over with. It was, it was time to be a city boy. So it was time to grow up real quick and get used to that environment. And then I did. I was the oldest out of my siblings. At the time, you know, it was just me, my mother, my sister, and my, my younger brother. It was just us three. And I was the oldest out of us. So when we migrated to Michigan, you know, we was under the care of my aunt and all the rest of them that was already up there. You know what I mean? So, you know, getting to know the city, man, it was, it was like like wow you know what I mean night and day I went from gravel roads to the street corners you know what I'm saying so it was like one of those things right there but you know over the years I learned to adapt and I became a Detroit boy I, I became a D-boy through them, through them years you know my dad wasn't too much around you know what I mean he was, in the, he was a military man growing up in Detroit was different because all you really had was close relatives and you know people that you met in the street that you considered family I didn't get in my dad life until I was like what 13, 14 years old you know around 12 that's when I started rapping and stuff you know what I mean and break dancing and you know break dancing is what led to rapping I was I was avid I was agile you know as a kid break dancing and doing my thing just like the average kid back then in the 80s it led to rapping and that's when I picked up my rap skill you know at the age of 12 and I heard my you know my first rap songs was 
And I was into rap because I was into breakdancing, of course. But when I wrote my first rap, I was like 12. And believe it or not, it was off the... Uh, I got inspired by an old hip-hop group called the Fat Boys. Uh. I don't know, if I, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, man, I got inspired by the Fat Boys. It was like their second sophomore album called Crush It. Mm-hmm. And man, when they came with that album, bro, it inspired me so much. I put the pen to the pad, and I haven't stopped since. People make them to be like, they're so underrated because people were clowning them like, oh, they were this and they were that, but... People don't understand. Nah, man, Fat Boy, idols, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they was they was real big because like they had a hit called In Jail, right? I don't know if you know everybody familiar with that one, but In Jail was like one of their number one hits. But it was really saying a lot about you know street life, you know, you know back then it was it wasn't all about the gangster rap back then. You know, rap had it was hip hip hop. You know, it was yes yes y'all. You know what I mean? And throw your hands in the air thing like that. You know. It was togetherness in hip-hop, but you know, along the way, we all watched what hip-hop become. You know what I mean? But, yeah, that's what inspired me, man, along with the greats. Like, Course Karis, one, he inspired me. Uh, Kumo D, people like that, man. You know, I was inspired by LL. You know, a lot of the greats, man. I just kept my pen to the pad, and you know, over the years, and got in certain groups, you know, you know, you go through the low area, you get in groups and things like that. And then you start, you know, figuring out who you are out here in this thing. Look at today's era and I look at, you don't see any more groups, you know, other than the Migos. And even they split up before the tragic ending of, of, of takeoff. You don't really see groups like, you know, coming in the game, making it like that no more, you know, together. Because everything is a me, 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 self, it's me, and self era. Like doing one of the the four pillars of hip hop breakdance. Y'all don't who don't know yeah. about the four pillars. Y'all better go out there and look. Here it is now. Mike is this teenager who is now trying to come into his own, learn his own way through the world. What was that like for you? Trying to figure out who I was and becoming a man. It was like call yourself. You know, you create these circles of friends, and I, I guess you know we all create. You know, get these friendship and deep friendships, and you you think as we grow these friendships will grow with us. Now, of course, some people are going to knock off. Some people you're going to lose along the way. And some friendships are going to strengthen over time. But, you know, growing into a man, it was when I, I first found out I had someone pregnant. Mm. That's when things really changed for me. Along with the rapping and everything, I, you know, rapping wasn't paying no money, so if I was dibbling and dabbling in the streets, do things in the streets that my parents weren't proud of. Let's put it like that. But becoming a man and having a kid, that's what made me really quit school. I'm not gonna say that's what made me quit, because like they say, you know, it's always said school is for some people, it's not for everybody. But we all need school right. in some kind of form or fashion. When I found out I had a kid on the way, I said, man, listen, <laughs> I get it. I'm in 11th grade. You know, I had barely made it to 11th grade, but I had this kid on the way, so I gotta do something else. I didn't want, you know, back then, that, that famous phrase, you know when that song came out, that's just my baby daddy? Mm-hmm. Man, I, was, I did not want to be a baby daddy. Why you know not? what I'm saying? Why That's not? what made it. It was like a stereotype. I didn't want to fit that mold. And I used to hear, you know, my cousin, you know, my, my female cousin that had kids by guys talk down to these That's just my baby daddy, you know? That was a real notion. That was a real thing out here. It, it wasn't just a song or, you know, just something on the radio in rotation. That was a real way of life. Right. We went from being, you know, households go from having strong black fathers and strong black men in the household to being baby daddies and, you know, things of that nature. And so for you, it was basically 
You didn't want to have that pernicious moniker over you. You wanted to be an involved father. Of course. And not only did I want to be an involved father, I was so involved that I, I ended up getting custody of my kids. See a, lot of, see, a lot of young men back then wasn't, you know, and unfortunately the situation that was that was going on with my, my kid's mother, I was in a position to take custody of my son. And that was the beautiful thing about it because I'm not going to lie, being being a full-time dad, that grew me up and kept me out of a lot of, a lot of issues that could have took my life down another course or another path. When my kid came along, it was my first priority. Everything else was obsolete. That street issue, I had to put it to the side. And what made you want to do that? Because guys in the street is different. They be like, yo, whatever, man. I got a seat. I got a seat. But you decided to say, I nah, I got to retire from the game or retire from the street so I can be a dad. What made you do that? Was that due to your upbringing because of your pops or was it something different? Yeah, it had a lot to do with my pops was absent for so long. He was he was absent for a minute because of his military life. I can understand that. It wasn't like he was just some some cat in the streets, ripping, you know, neglecting his responsibilities. The man really had a life, a military life. But yeah, I had stepdads, guys that came in my mom's life that called so-called was in position or was supposed to step up to the plate. And a lot of that had to do with me, you know, really wanting to be a, a dad. I ain't just want to have some my kid out here, some other dude out here call, you know, yeah, he call him some other dude dad. And having those men in your life, what impact did that have on you? Well, not having my father in my life impacted me a lot. So long, you know, like I said, when he, when he came back into my life, this, I was damn near a full-fledged man. Over the years, the so-called stepfathers and the cats like that that was dating my mother, I didn't consider them as no, you know, father figure. Not in my eyes, because I didn't have that relationship with him. So being a, being a father to my kid was number one priority when he came along, you know, when he came along. I'm going to be out here, you know, running the streets and my kid wondering where the fuck I'm at. Nah, that's not happening. Your son is in your life. You're now full-time dad. What was the other things that you learned about yourself in your first dealing in fatherhood? <laughs> Believe it or not, I learned that uh, being a young single father back in them days, back in that, at that era, in that era, I, I felt like I was a commodity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For real. Man, it, it, was, it was crazy because it, it was females that used to see me with my son. And I know, I don't know if it was impressive to them or not, but who I wish my son father was like you or, or I had women really, you know, trying to tap in, you know, touch, get with me because they felt like, oh, he take care of his son. Nah, nah, nah. I'm like, but I ain't trying to be nobody's stepdaddy because see, they had kids by dudes that was absent. And I know how that, I know how that go, bro. So, you know, as soon as a dude feel like, you know, his, his ex is with somebody new, now all of a sudden he want to be a dad. And I, and I learned that just like when it's important for a woman not to have certain type of people around her children, I had to feel like, yo, I can't just have all these females coming around my son. So yeah, I was protective of it. What's the relationship with your family like as you're developing yours with your son? I mean, it was good. Then again, like I, it, it was too many expectations of it. What you mean? I mean, I felt like, uh, you know, with, like, with my grandmother and, and, and people like that in the family, it's like, I wasn't living up to their expectations. So it was like always a, a clash or, or something to say, oh, Mike not doing this right. I get it. I was a young dad, man. I was still learning how to be a young man. When I learned I was going to be a father, think about it, man. I wasn't even 18 yet. I was 17 turning 18. Wow. Woo, you was really young, boy. 
Yeah, man, I was young. I didn't know. I didn't know the first thing about raising a kid. Like, yeah, I used to help my mother with my my younger brothers and my younger siblings, but man, I ain't know the first thing about raising no kid. I was a kid myself still, you know, in so many ways. But I just felt like, okay, granted, I love my I, I love my kids so much, man. I said, look, all that friendship issue running the streets, I had to put that shit to the side. It did. I had homies that that supported that. That's what the good thing was. I had homies that supported me. They, you know, they stepped in like, yo, man, I'm, trust me, I had homies like fighting over who's going to be Godfather. That's a good fight to so have. So I had, a, I had a good support system outside of my immediate family. But it was like, when it come to them, it was always something I wasn't doing right. Either I was too this or not enough that. So Mike, for me too, when dad and you reunite, what was that stage like for you now? When me and my dad reunited, I'm going to tell you like this, man, just by that, that happening in my life, right? I could see the difference. If if he hadn't came into my life, I could see where my life would have went. You know, even though we bumped heads, we clashed a lot because it was a, think about it, it was, it was years of us not being in communication. And for me to come into his life at 14 turning 15, he's basically stepping into my life I'm almost a man and he got to understand who I am and I, I, I'm trying to understand who he is but the fact that he stepped up to the plate made me feel like it, was, it, it wasn't too late mm, interesting a lot of people is too proud to give somebody that's trying a chance I get it you hurt there's a lot of hurt there but sometimes you know things, things, things do be beyond the person's control what made you want to give him that chance? Because as you said, some people be like, nah, you just jumping back in. Nah, you good. What made you want to do that? I needed him. I'm not saying I needed him financially. I needed him emotionally. That's real. You know what I mean? A lot of, a lot of people won't admit that. You know, I needed my dad emotionally, man. And it wasn't like he owed me. I never felt like he owed me something. I just felt like, you know, what he did, all I wanted for my dad, real talk, is what somebody can reach in their pocket and find right now everywhere. It's everywhere like air. And that's number time. Time don't cost me. It's that's all I wanted from my dad, bro, was time. And I vowed to myself, if I can't give my kid or my children anything, I might not can give them the world. I might not can put them in the best neighborhoods. I might not can give them a car when they turn 16. But guess what I gave you? Your whole life. My time. I got time for you. I tell all my kids that. Call me, I don't give if it's three in the morning, four in the morning, whatever. Something bothering you, wake me the f up. Cause I got time for you. I'm your daddy. I got time for you. But Mike, that's interesting. You had your son, the age of 17. Your pops coming the year before. What was that like? Him in your life now. You're now this young father. That dynamic. What was it like? Did you lean heavily on him for guidance? I did and I didn't, because I couldn't. One thing about it, I say that because I say that for two reasons. First of all, my dad was a military man. Don't forget that. He was a sergeant. So he was kind of tough ass. But he was sincere. He was a type like this. He was he was tough on me. He'd throw, he'd, he'd throw you in the water, but he right there by you with the life raft. You know what I mean? He ain't gonna, he ain't gonna see you sink. He just wants you to, you know, learn some But I say I say the second part because <laughs> I couldn't leave more on it because man, he was having a baby too. <laughs> Pop still got it. <laughs> and, and, and look, double whammy. Him and my mama was having babies. So wait, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> so up. So you having a little one. Your pops having a little one, and your mother is having a little one. And both his uncles young is younger than him. Both your son's uncles. <laughs> 
Yo. Okay? But that made the bond more stronger, to be honest with you. It, it, it really kind of did. Man, sound like your parents had that. Anything you can do, Mike, we can do better. But we can do it better than you. It was more like anything you doing, we ain't finished. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? So, but the thing about it is, man, it was funny watching my son grow up with his uncles. It was funny to see my son potty train and one of his uncles was still in the Panthers, man. That shit was funny. <laughs> it's life. It's real. Yeah. And these are stories that you don't really hear about, but yeah, you're right. So, Mike, let's go a little further now. I believe that your pops later on, I think he was either sick and... He had passed. This is where things switched up. Everything changed after that. So your pops, was he sick or it was just of old age that he passed? No, actually, you know, when they say something is self-inflicted, you know what I mean? And I, and I tell everybody this all the time. If you love yourself, treat yourself like you love yourself. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your life to the fullest. But sometimes you can enjoy your life so much that you, you'll lose control. You know, my, my, like I said, man, my dad, my dad drank. You know, when when I found out he had cirrhosis of the liver, it was it was it was too late. He always considered himself a cowboy. He always considered himself Superman. You know, he was there for everybody. My pops, my pops would put on a cape in a minute. You somewhere, you need him, he coming. One thing I do is call. He was the type that always said, wherever he went, he never met a stranger. That was his way of saying. Everywhere he go, he meet a friend. Did you see that sometimes as a detriment for him? Yeah, people take advantage of good people like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, true. When you got that open heart and that open arm appeal, that when people come to you, you take on their problems, right? If someone come to you and you can, they can lay their problems in your lap and you immediately make their issues your problem. That's the type of person he was. And quite a few people knew that about him. Nice to forewarn him a lot. As his oldest, I used to be like, look, man, you gotta, sometimes you gotta learn to say no. Did you see that at times that, that would stress him out because he'd take on, you ingratiate himself yeah, in somebody man, what, what, I mean, my pops had a lot of deep-rooted stress. You know what I mean? First of all, he lost his twin brother in 87, man. And um, I guess when you lose an identical twin like that, somehow you lose a part of yourself. I could look in my pop's eyes sometimes, bro, and I could tell that part of him never, he never let that go. How can he? Losing the twin brother that you basically done everything in life with, graduated high school together, went into the military together, got out of the military together, bought your first homes together. I can't even phantom to feel a pain like that. I've lost a sibling of my own, but my dad, it haunted him. And I guess I guess he felt like he owed my uncle something by trying to be there, be that rock for the family, to be that glue, keep everybody together. He've always tried to be that adhesive. And I watched, you know, sad to say, after he after he passed on, that family adhesive is not there no more. And I see that in a lot of families, man. A lot of families suffer after the rock of the family is gone. That soft spot in my dad's heart that he always had. His thing was this, he gonna drink to have a good time. If he dealing with something, he gonna drink. Somebody he know going through something, he's gonna come over, he's gonna buy a few drinks. So, yeah, I watched it over the years just get out of control, but you know, and they say, uh, when you love somebody, you're supposed to tell them, you're supposed to let them know what's hurting them. It was hard, you know, it's hard to talk to somebody about what their their addiction, you know what I mean? Because they don't see nothing else. And if you try to bring some kind of intervention in their life, they get defensive. You feel what I'm saying? I stopped coming to my dad about his drinking because it would lead to arguments or misunderstanding. So to pacify the situation, I just, you know, I leave it alone. 
Or sometimes I'll make him make a deal with me. Like if we take a road trip or something together, I'd be like, all right, promise me you ain't going to drink it till we get to such and such state. When we get to Memphis for something, you ain't going to drink it till we get to Memphis. He's like, all right, all right, I ain't going to drink till we get to Memphis. So that was my way of just trying to, you know, cut it back a little bit. You know what I mean? Make, give his body a break. But when it catches up with you, man, it catches up with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've had some people in my family like that, too. So I definitely get where you're coming from. Mike, you said that the adhesive is now gone. The glue to the family was yeah. gone. So now yeah. that Pops is gone, did you see it now as you had to take on the role of the glue or no? I attempted to, but then again, man, I I, I tell I, t- I tell certain people in my family, you know, because me, I'm, I, I tell everybody, I'm not my daddy. I am not Ray. I don't adopt people's problems, man, because... At the end of the day, I'm 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 very protective of my own mental state, and and I'm not and and see sometimes, like I said, I watched that happen with my dad. People will lay their problems in your lap and want you to figure them out. And one thing he always told me, but he you know you ever heard somebody that always preach but never live by their own words? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That was my dad. He was he was very wise, man. He would say things like, "You want to know how somebody feel about you." Tell them, no, I can't, I ain't got, or I ain't going to be able to. Absolutely. I agree. And watch how they feel about you after that. He used to tell me things like that. And it didn't dawn on me until later on when, you know, these certain situations come up in my life, dealing with certain kinfolk or certain friends, so-called friends and things of that nature. You know what I'm saying? Because one thing about it, when you tell people that, they treat you how they feel about you. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? That's when that, that's when that hate come out. That homie love a friend that ain't that ain't no more. The amazing thing to me is it'll amaze all of us to know how many people we got in our lives truly feel like that about us. Wouldn't that shock you to know exactly who feel like that about you? And you look at them every day in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, you said that now that you decided to like nah I can't adopt your problems I like that you had mentioned one time that you started to start hearing some things about your pops and you from people in the family let's dive into that a little yeah man it was like it, it goes back back when I said you know I didn't I got I didn't really know how bad the rivalry or the blood was between my mother and my father's family I didn't I didn't know how deep it went until I got older you know what I mean it it, it, it went back some years, you know, before I was born, I guess, you know, but I guess when I was born, things kind of came to a head because I, I, I've, I've heard things over years. But then again, as I got older, some things start coming to light as the way I got treated as I got old. You know, certain things was taken out on me as a teenager because of the bad blood between both sides of the family. And the things that were taken out on you, this is from one side or just both sides? They would just randomly just take things out on you. Put it like this. I would say in the heat of anger or when somebody mad with you, they'll say something hurtful about you pertaining to either side of the family. Like, for instance, I say, for instance, one time my grandmother called me a snake with legs. <laughs> Yo. Yeah, man, she called me a snake with legs because I was, I wanted to take my, my son to Michigan to meet my mother's side of the family. At the time, my, my kid, was, you know, when I, when I got custody of him, he was growing up around more so my father's side of the family. My, my father's mother, my grandmother, God rest her soul, hey, I got to be real about grandma, but, you know, she didn't, you know, she didn't really too care too much about me because, you know, I guess the bad blood between my mother's side of the family and how that issue go back with them. She used to say things like that because, I guess, 
don't know, just to be hurtful. I would, I would do something, and she'd take it out of context to say like, "Oh, you, you acting like them Robinsons or something like that." You know what I'm saying? Which is my mother's side of the thing. You know, and as a kid, how how are you supposed to take that? Mm-hmm. So if I'm acting like them Robinsons, you know, in my head, what's so bad about my mother's people or my mom? So that sparked something in you to now, like, all right, let me look on this other side of this family that you keep bad mouthing. I mean, this this the whole thing. I've always grew up on that side of the family. So it's, 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 it's kind of insulting to say, you know, you acting like that side of the family. So if I grew up, I grew up around my mother and her family and most, you know, most of my kin folks over that side and to be around my father and my grandmother them at a certain age and for her to say things like, oh, you acting like that side of the family. Now, mind you, at one point in time, I was the apple of her eye when I was a baby. When she really, when she accepted that I was my dad, once once she got to accept that I was my father's son. So for a time, she you didn't know? believe that, that you was your father's son. No, that's to my understanding. For a while, she didn't, she didn't accept it until my grandmother, you know, my mother's mother brought me as a baby over to her house and pulled the blanket back on me and said, if, you know, who whose son he's supposed to be then? And I looked at just like they found So she said, yeah, I guess he is ours. You know, but once again, it was it was always something, else, you know, something in the air about that because the fact that my father had a twin, she was skeptical about it being my father's or my uncle. To let my mother and him tell it. So, you know, it was always something about me and the family, you know what I mean? So when did the internal civil unrest in the family reach its peak? It reached its peak to me the day of my father's funeral, man. It was it was one of them days I never, it was like, you know, it was like a a, a, a somber, I can't even explain it. Because mind you, you know, when, when Pops got sick, I was on my way to North Carolina, right? I was leaving Ohio. I had got on the mega bus and I was on my way to uh, North Carolina because, you know, me and my dad had talked. He was like, why don't you move down here with the kids, you know, be, so I could be closer to the kids. And I used to always think to myself, now why, why? He's always been a road runner. My pops was, a, you know, he was an engineer. So he used to take contracts all over the country. So at this time in his life, I'm, I'm watching him slow down and not take contracts. And, you know, he's more stable in their home. And I'm like, this is not like him. What really did it for me is that year. I said, pops, what you want for your birthday this year, man? Because, you know, the month of March is his birthday month and my middle son, their birthday is like three days apart. So he said, I just want you to bring my grand youngest to see me for my birthday. I'm like, that's it? I'm like, okay, talk to wifey and you know, we got the kids together, you know, pick a date, got some time off from, the, from our jobs or whatever. And we made that happen. So when we got down there, I kind of figured the writing to be on the wall when something is wrong with somebody. You just can't see it at the moment, but they're trying to tell you in so many ways that they don't have long and something is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can remember clearly I had, uh, we had went to the grocery store because I was going bar- I was barbecuing that weekend for their birthday. And I invited a lot of homeboys of mine that, that still lived in town over there and they came through and we was having a good time playing cards and everything. So... We was running out of uh, supplies and stuff, so me, him, and my wife, and uh, two of my kids had ran to the store, and we was in the parking lot of the grocery store, and as, you know, my wife and I was coming out the grocery store with the bags, he's sitting in the back of the car with the kids, and he's just crying. Mm. He, he's crying. I'm like, Pops, what's wrong, man? I'm like, what's, what's going on with you? And my wife looking at me like, so as we driving home, he's just like, I'm just so glad y'all are here. He's crying, da 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 
So it, he had his moment, I guess. So when we get back, you know, he was moving kind of slow. And I noticed he keep forgetting things. He was forgetting his wallet. He was forgetting where he put his watch. He forgot where he put his car keys. I'm like, he's forgetful today. I'm like, he's forgetting a lot of this shit. So lo and behold, we gets back to our state where we live at. And, uh, and about a week later, he calls me and say, why don't you move down here with the kids? And, and so I said, okay, well, let me talk to wife about it and see how she feel about it. So I ran it by her. And she like, that ain't like your dad. You know, he always want to be going and moving and he got to go get the money and da-da-da-da. I said, you're right. I'm like, you know, something ain't right. So, you know, we, we talked to him and let him know, like, okay, we're going to make that happen, Pops. You know, I'm going to come down there, peep out some things and peep out some, you know, some places to stay or, you know, get some things organized so I can go on and switch, switch jobs and everything like that, right? Man, lo and behold, I get on a mega bus. I leave Ohio and I rise to Durham and my bus had ended up stopping in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I called him. I told him I, I told him where I was. So he was like, stay right there. Me and your cousin is in Durham. We could just shoot right up there and come and get you. I'm like, bet. I ain't even got to wait on the next bus then. Cool. So when he came and got me, man, I'm noticing that he's in the backseat of the truck and he's laying down. I threw my bags in the back of the truck and my cousin Curtis is driving. He's like, oh, what's up, cuz? I'm like, what's up, man? I'm like, what's on, Pops? He's like, man, he ain't feeling too good. So I, I reached back there. I gave him a hug and everything. I'm like, you all right, man? He, he was, his face was looking all flushed and like he was sweating and itching. So we riding and he kept telling us to pull over. He had to throw up. So he did this not once, twice. Then we get to a, a gas station. I goes in there, I get him a big-ass bottle of water. I said, man, you look dehydrated, man. Drink some water, man. And I asked my cousin, I said, has he been drinking today? He's like, no, man, he ain't really drink nothing. He drank a little bit yesterday, but he ain't been drinking nothing today. So I said, Pops, man, get this water in you, man, so we can go and get to the house. Bruh, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't even in North Carolina a whole hour, right? And on our way to the house, he made us pull over one more time. He's like, pull over, pull over, I gotta throw up. So we pulls over. And so happened, we right by this guardrail. And bro, next thing I know, he started protruding blood out of his mouth. Mm. It wasn't throw up, it was just blood. And I'm looking at my cousin, I'm like, man, what in the f is going on? He's like, bro, I, oh, he's like, bro, we got to get into the hospital, man. What the f is going on? So, so happened, we, was, we wasn't too far from the VA in Durham, man. And as we, we driving, my cousin doing like a hundred, man. We, we flying. And I, I, I got, I got his wallet and everything out of his pocket, and I got all his, uh, his credentials, his, his VA card and everything. So we get to the VA, and I runs in. I'm like, yo, get a, get a, get me a, a doctor, get me a. I'm telling them this is emergency. Get me a wheelchair, a gurney, whatever. So by the time they come out to the truck, he's still throwing up blood, bro. He's still throwing up blood everywhere. So when they get him in. They tried to get him in triage. They couldn't even get the little thing on his on his arm in the triage room. He's throwing up blood every freaking way. Mm. And I'm wondering what in the f is going on with my dad. I'm just getting into town, man. I just rolled almost 17 hours on the bus. I'm just touching down. I don't know what's going on. My dad is down here throwing up blood everywhere. I haven't talked to my wife. I ain't talked to my kids. Nothing. So I get on the phone. I call my stepmom. I tell her, you need to get up here right now. ASAP. Pops is sick. By the time she gets up to the hospital, I don't know how the f she got from Rowdy to Durham in under 15 minutes, but she did. But bro, when she got up there, they had rushed him to this other room. I don't know what kind of room this was, but he's throwing up blood everywhere. And they's trying, they trying to get this under control. We all in the, in the visitor's room, in, in, in the triage room. We pacing the floor. We trying to put our heads together. What's going on? 
Come to find out, man, when I talked to his physician, the doctor said my dad had nine ulcers in his esophagus. Oh. And all of them ruptured at once. What? Because he was drinking and taking this medication. And on the medication, on the bottle, it said, do not drink alcohol while taking this medication. In big-ass yellow letter, it says, causes oath. When the physician tells you that, what is going through your head at that moment? What was going through my head at that moment? The writings was all on the wall. Everything started coming back to me. You know how you could just start thinking back episode after episode, why this was happening, why that was happening, why he was doing this, and it all made sense. Dude, my father knew he was dying of cirrhosis of the liver since 2009. I didn't find out until 2014. And he was still drinking. Yeah, when, when his doctor told me when he was diagnosed, I started thinking back. I said, so that explains in 2012, when you demanded me get all my brothers together on Father's Day at my house, because you needed that to happen. Everything made sense, because he knew. So Mike, pop passes, and as you said, he was the one taking on the cape. You took on some of that cape, and then you had to take it off. And so now Mike, pops is gone, and it's Mike again, learning this life thing as, as by himself, but now as an adult. Put us in that space for you. So, man, right now, brother, I just became a new granddad on the 22nd. Congratulations, brother. Congratulations. You got a Sassy baby. That's right. Yes, sir. That's right. He was born 11, 22, 22. Now, you tell me them ain't angel numbers. Mm. I know know my ancestors is looking over me, and they want me to do good. And I don't blame them for a lot of things that they didn't understand because at the same time, we can't look at our ancestors and our, our, our fathers and mothers and our grandmothers just to say, oh, they should have knew it all because guess what? We are still children of the universe and we're all still learning. We're learning how to cope with each other. We're learning how to treat each other. So what I've learned as the man today, no, I can't be the glue to have make everybody stick together, but I can be enough adhesive to keep my immediate family tight. And if I don't give them nothing, I'm giving them each other and I'm giving them something to hold on to. They say, what's my legacy? I look at them every day. I don't need a big building or a bridge name after me to feel like I've become somebody in life. 11-22-22, that's more added to my legacy. My grandbaby, his name is Rain Robinson. My other grandbaby, Carmelo Robinson. And all five of my children, they're going to keep my legacy going, bro. Whether I, if I'd have done something with hip-hop or I done wrote a novel to change mankind or whatever, man, my seeds is walking this earth. So I'm doing, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Mike Robinson, why do you keep your towel? I keep my towel because I refuse to stop fighting. I got so much to fight for. I got a beautiful life. I got a beautiful wife. I got five productive children, two beautiful grandchildren, and one bonus grandchild. I can't stop fighting. I can't. It's my legacy. Yes, sir. Yo, Mike, before we hop out of here, if there's any words that you want to give, anything you want to say, any last words you want to say, my man, the floor is yours. Hey, brother, I appreciate you giving me this time to express myself and give the world a piece of me. And I want everybody out here that's listening to know this. Know who loves you. Don't be afraid to love people, but always know who to give you love to. Make sure they're worthy. That goes for friendship and kinship. That's Mr. Robinson, brother. Well, folks, there you go. You have it right there. 
You just heard my man give you some incredible words of wisdom and hearing what it was to be sort of the adhesive after losing the adhesive, but he kept going despite all those things in his life. The rounds you got to go through. Some rounds are going to be easy, as I've told you before, and some rounds are going to be a little rough. Yo, Mike. If you have any information, where can the people find you? Yes, you can hit me up at Blacklight Entertainment. That's at Blacklight Entertainment. That's on IG. You can find me at Blacklight Entertainment on YouTube. Or you can catch me on Anchor FM at Mr. Robinson. The slot, that shining light on things. Yes, y'all. Yo, y'all got to check out that podcast. I was able to check it out in the joint that he that he did one of them with DJ Academics. Yo, this man echoed the same sentiments I was saying. Once again, that's the slot, the shining light on things. Not T-H-I-N-G, T-H-A-N-G-S. So you'll be able to check that out, man. My brother. <laughs> so you'll be able to go and check out everything you got there. There you have it. Mr. Robinson, congratulations. You have survived Boogie's Gym, and our sparring session is now over. My man, you made it through, you made it through. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode, and I want you to make sure you come back. Go ahead and tell a friend who got some friends who need some friends who ain't got no friends and who got much friends about this podcast, Keeping the Tile, with this dope dude, Aunt Boogie, who got this dope voice and this infectious voice that's in your ears. And like I always tell you, wipe the blood, wipe the sweat, wipe the tears, but whatever you do, don't throw in your towel. This is your man, Aunt Boogie. I'll check you when I check you. I'll see you when I see you. We are out of here.